Welcome to In The Know With Neo, and thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Joshua Moore, and for those who aren't aware, Neo is a student-led social justice initiative that amplifies the voices of underrepresented small business owners within the Cincinnati community, and we're excited to share this week's episode with you. Greetings to those tuning in to In The Know With Neo. I'm your host, Joshua Moore, and this week I have the grace of speaking with Lawrence Jones. To give a quick background, Lawrence graduated from the University of Cincinnati with degrees in accounting and finance, while also participating within the Darwin T. Turner Scholars Program. While preparing for today's conversation, it became evident that Lawrence's impact, experience, and expertise throughout his career ranges across many functions, businesses, and communities. But just to name a few, Lawrence is the president and co-founder of Riskversity, which is a risk management consulting firm, as well as CyberSure LLC, which helps organizations understand and identify their exposure to cyber attacks and security breaches. He is also an official member of the Cincinnati Business Courier Leadership Trust, a member of UC's Equity and Inclusion Committee and Audit and Risk Committee, on the Linder College of Businesses Business Advisory Council and Business Fellows Advisory Board, and past president of UC's Alumni Association. And trust me, this was only half of it. So if you're interested in learning more, check out Lawrence's LinkedIn profile, which I learned he still has to update more. So be in check with that, which is in the description below. So with that, uh, I had the pleasure of connecting with Lawrence um, during my sophomore year here at UC as well, during my internship with We Prosper Technologies back in 2019 and 2020. And we've re remained connected uh, through various ways since then. So I'm beyond excited to catch up through this conversation today. But first, Happy New Year, Lawrence. Um, and I'm wondering how has 2023 treated you thus far? Happy New Year to you as well. It's I been, that was a lot. It, it was a lot, it but, was a lot. <laughs> but it is a lot, right? Yeah. Um, it's going well so far. I know we're only good, what, 11, good. 12 days, 12 days in, uh, to, into the year. College football was mm -hmm. winding down. Mm -hmm. NFL is ramping up towards you know its, its peak goal. So yep. it's been fun, for sure. Good, good. We like to hear that. We like to hear that. So a little bit of background on how the podcast came about, such as In the Know with NEO. It was a new initiative, as I said, when we were revamping uh, the stages of NEO as an organization. And with your work, I'm sure you're familiar with measuring the risk of decision making or not. So I'm excited to take a deep dive and gain your perspective and insight on the questions we have in store for today. So let's get right into it. The first question I have for you is, if someone asked you, who is Lawrence Jones to you? Kind of like an elevator pitch for those who don't know. Well, I'm somebody that really uh, embodies and has the passion to give back. Mm -hmm. um, you know, giving back is really ingrained in our family. But you know, it's you know, too much is given as much as required. Mm -hmm. So I really live uh, live by that. Now, sometimes the family is like, "You're gone so much," but when they understand what the impact that I you know that I do in the community, um, they they're really proud of me in that in that sense. So f for me, it's really for those to know that I'm not just about me, it's about helping other people. I love to hear that, I love to hear that. And I think it's something that I've come to understand that that's what life's more about, is helping others through the gifts and talents that you have. And it's something that continually came up as I researched um, on your career and the things that you're doing. And then secondly, can you give a brief overview of some of the work you're involved in uh, in the present day? As we stated, it's a lot but uh, maybe just like another elevator pitch of the, of the work you're You're going to squeeze me down, <laughs> right? Um, you know, on, on the business side, really focused on, you know, again, helping others. 
uh, whether that's overall risk management for their organization, trying to, to, to help them grow and manage risk through that process, um, whether that is, or on the cyber side or, you know, focusing on DE&I, mm -hmm. uh, but on the nonprofit side, you know, giving my time back, I really focus on social services and government, uh, social services and government stuff, as well as higher education. Cause all, I think all three of those things really uh, drive the next in our, you know, in our community and the next um, in our world. And so that's what really, you know, has me going on. Since you made me squeeze it down, <laughs> that's where I'm focusing on a high level. Okay, sounds great. It's like a Swiss, a Swiss army knife <laughs> in the flesh. Agreed. So, so I found when you first came to UC, you started in the College of Arts and Sciences and then later transitioned on into the College of Business. So I'm interested, what sparked the change of heart and the change of mind, uh, which led you to where you are today? Well, it was less of a spark and more of a need to make a change, okay. right? So uh, as, as a young lad, uh, my, my great-grandfather, who I had the, the pleasure to know and spend some time with, had this vision for me uh, to be a, a pharmacist. He said, you know, okay. that's going to be an in-demand thing, you know, for a long time. Mm -hmm. I said, well, okay. Well, so I, I, that's what I wanted to do because it kind of, you know, enforced that, instilled that in me. And so when I came to UC in arts and sciences, that was going to be my, my, my track. And as I got into all the biologies and the chemistries, mm. and when you have uh, adjunct professors or TAs that are involved in class and teaching stuff, and not being able to to, to get across the the language barrier in the in the subject that I was already struggling mm -hmm. in, so this is enough for me. Yeah, I made a quick uh, quick left turn <laughs> <laughs> and made my way over to college, uh, Linder College of Business. Nice, nice. Yeah, I can uh, resonate with that. I'm glad I took my last chemistry and biology courses in uh, high school so you were you were lucky yeah <laughs> <laughs> so secondly for the next question um the first thing I took notice to while researching was your steadfast commitment to the University of Cincinnati community um, from serving on committees and boards to attending events such as the Onyx and Ruby Gala and even hanging out with business fellow student trips on our Chicago trip back in 2020 which was a bit of a coincidence uh, but was amazing time nonetheless so I'm interested on, in your uh, perspective, what makes UC so special to, to you since you not only graduated here, but remain an integral part about what goes on in and around campus? Well, I think it started with um, the love for UC basketball. Okay, yeah. Um, I, I came uh, across that when I was doing my research. I, I love the basketball. And, and, and so in middle school, you know, I, I was, wasn't a very, t I'm not a very tall guy now, and I was, really wasn't a tall, you know, kid mm -hmm. uh, but I, I played basketball in middle school and our coach um, had some connections uh, to UC and knew Bob Huggins so okay. as a as a team we got to come to a couple of games we'd go in a locker room and you know after the game or eating subway and all that kind of whatnot so I really instilled that in me that. and so my dad you know enjoyed um, uh, UC basketball as well unfortunately he's an Ohio State uh, football fan but we won't talk about that here <laughs> and, and so you know through that one you know to come to UC to stay at home I did have a scholarship to go to Ohio State as well, okay. but had the Darwin Teach Scholarship mm -hmm. uh, here at UC, and so that's what drove me here, to so kind of follow that passion. Uh, and, and by having a scholarship, that really, you know, I always wanted to give back, but because I didn't have to pay to go to school, mm -hmm. had part. this other, and it's not a burden, but it's really, how do I pay this forward and really be involved because someone else gave their treasure and their mm -hmm. time um, to allow me to go to school, you know, at no cost. And so I really, that's what really drives me to be impactful here on campus. Yeah, and I think that's cool when you mentioned that because, like, just putting the different pieces from the research I've done a lot, or really all of what you do is instilled in paying back and helping others. And even just from a young age and being in college, you still have that, like, connection of, 
who helped you then and how you can help other people now. And I found a quote um, from the video that I saw on the Linder College of Business uh, YouTube channel. And you feel you said, uh, you feel like I can help them better than the generation before them. So anything I can do to support that effort, I'm excited by that. And it definitely uh, is resonated in the, in the way you speak about UC and just helping others. So the next question I do have is, so at Neo, we understand the importance of representation both in the classroom and in the business world. And you displayed many of this, you displayed this many times throughout your career. But one of the most empower, empowering facts I uncovered while researching was that you were the first African-American president of UC's Alumni Association. And I'm interested since that's just such a large feat and has such significance to that and relevance and it's prevalent in our community. How did this make you and those around you feel? And what message do you believe it communicates that it took so long for this feat to occur? That's a, it's a big question. Yeah, it's uh, kind of packed as well. So if is, you need me is, to go one at a time. It is packed. I'll try to, you know, pull it all in from what I, what I heard you, what I heard you ask. Um, you know, being involved through the Alumni Association first as a young alumni, really, it, it really was about starting my career in networking, right? Mm -hmm. So to get around my peers and, and the other alumni coming back to have conversations with uh, the, the new alumni, that was really my first motivation. Uh, as my career started to kick up, I then uh, I moved to the Dayton market for work, and so it wasn't as easy to be involved, and so I took a step back. And um, I'll never forget uh, uh, Jen Heisey, I don't know if it was an email or a text, uh, you know, that I think text wasn't as big of a thing as it is now, but she reached out to me to say, hey, let's talk about you, you know, getting re-engaged, you know, in UC. And I'm like, hey, now's a good time for me because I was covering both the Cincinnati and the Dayton market um, okay. for, for my firm. And... It's like, yeah, let's let's do that. So we went to Rusty Bucket, and she laid out the opportunity to get involved on a committee at the Alumni Association. And I uh, joined the finance committee with a background in accounting. That's kind of where you tend to get steered mm -hmm. towards first. And so through there, got to understand the operation of the Alumni Association. Uh, at the time, uh, Myron Hughes was the okay. executive director and got to know him really, really well through that process. So it was, it was valuable to me to do that. But then the chair of the finance committee decided it was his time to roll off and they're like looking around like Lawrence it's you so that really started that trajectory because when you're on finance you tend to know really what's going on across the organization mm -hmm. and positioned me very well I think to then you know be that next that next leader so it really wasn't about in my mind about being the first African-American uh, alumni president it was just like that was my next in my trajectory mm -hmm. of being a leader inside the organization and they, then I found out, even though there was pictures on the wall, I never really paid attention yeah. to it there were so many around there. You, you kind of see them, you kind of, hey, I know that guy, I know that person, I know that gal. Uh, but then it's like, you know what? You just realize you're the first one. I'm like, oh, wow. I, yeah, I guess, you know, I, I guess, I, yeah, it's kind of yeah. a surprise. And I think it really um, was at the time where the university was also paying more attention mm -hmm. to diversity mm -hmm. and inclusion in the community and on, on campus. Not saying it was perfect, but it was really that time that was really taking that uh, that stride of, of being a, a better uh, inclusive community uh, for the U University of Cincinnati. Yeah, that's a really great story. And I think as you were speaking, and I just like continually putting the pieces together and it's just different, as you mentioned, there's different stages from like where you're going through and how you got on the Alumni Association and then became president and then continually were involved on campus. So it just seems that you keep finding holes and pockets and gaps where your experience and perspectives are needed and you're 
more than willing to help and fulfill those needs. That it's like a are. magnet. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't choose for these things to come about, but it's just I'll tell you tell you a story, uh, and I think it'll help you make it'll make it it'll help it make sense. Um, when I was on, when I came on to the alumni association um, board. Um, we had uh, not a power atmosphere, but uh, when I came onto the to the board, uh, Tony Yates was on the alumni okay. association, and uh, like the great guy that that he was, uh, God rest his soul. You know, we would go to breakfast, and he would just instill in me things that, at my you know young age, still wet behind the ears, I wouldn't mm. have really understood. And one of the breakfasts that we were having, he said, you know, if you take nothing else away from our you know relationship and conversation, is you need to be a professional problem solver that mm. applies to everything that you do both yeah. professionally you know uh, in, in your home life and you know friendship whatever the case may be you know in sports you know if you're a quarterback if, you know, if you're the point guard you're solving problems you know, in real time on the floor and I live with that mm. so I think this yeah. magnet thing <laughs> happens where I hear something and I raise my hand and make a comment or identify a problem and you know, somebody else has always told me, hey, if, you, if you're going to have a, you know, if there's a problem there, you have a solution. You know, if there's a problem there, have a solution when you raise your hand to do something. And so on the foundation board, you kind of rattled off some of the things I was involved in in there. And I may not have updated this yet, but through one of our meetings and talking about how important, you know, DE&I is and it should mm -hmm. be for the foundation to really match our student population and where we're going as a, as a city. Uh, you know, this was still during COVID and we weren't really, we weren't even in person, we were online. I said, well, what are we going to do about this DEI thing? And at the time, uh, Troy Neat was the, the board chair and he said, well, Lawrence, uh, would you mind uh, chairing that committee? And I got silent, <laughs> right? You know, I'll get back to you on that, but it was a quick follow-up to say, hey, you know, you're the right person, you know, to, to do this. And it's hard for me to say no to UC and for things that are going to make an impact and make a change and change, you know, someone after me, it's hard to say no to that. So mm -hmm. I think that what, what you're saying, I think that's kind of why it ends up working out that way because I'm trying to be a problem solver all the time and so much. So I think, you know, the, my, my wife says, I don't need you to, to solve my problem, just listen. So it's hard sometimes <laughs> even in that context where I just have to just, hold back. Hold back, yeah, I'm wired that way now. Yes, yes. <laughs> I think that perfectly um, transitions us to our next question because one thing I've noticed throughout my four years in Cincinnati uh, being from Columbus, is that many people grow up here, attend college here, work here, and they leave a legacy here. So I'm interested, since you were born and bred in, uh, a born and bred Cincinnati, and how have you seen the minority business environment grow from where it was to where it is today? Um, and I do have a follow-ups, but we'll keep okay. we'll keep it from. You know, I, I think you know we've made progress um, in that regard. There's still a lot of work um, mm -hmm. to do. There's still a, a lack of access to capital. And the resources that uh, the majority, you know, has access mm -hmm. to, but it, it's it's better. Um, I, I think with uh, supplier diversity programs and some other programs that are designed to really help level the playing field, it's made it uh, made it made it better. But again, there's still a long a long road to yes, go yes. where um, you know African Americans or other um, underrepresented population, you know, people of color, still have one extra barrier to, to get through. But even in that regard, I'm having conversations with folks who have money and with lenders to mm -hmm. say, how do we help change this landscape so that people who have these great ideas can be funded? They talk about light shit capital mm -hmm. and, and focusing on, uh, again, you know, women and, and minorities who have ideas because it's less than 1% of those folks get you know, venture capital dollars. So it's better than it was, yes. but it's still not where we needed to, needed to be. Yeah, and I think this is a testament. I've only been uh, in Cincinnati for four years, and I've seen the growth 
and seeing it the like, DINE become more prevalent. But as you stated, there's always that next step to be made. Um, and I think you're one of the thought leaders in that area. Um, and the next question that I do have, it's kind of a selfish question, um, but if you were asked to define risk, um, do you, well, let me step back. To follow up, what do you think are the next steps in order to sustainably empower minority businesses of the future? It's kind of a hard question. No, it, no, it, it, I just had a conversation at lunch the other day. I really think it's about continuing to provide programming and opportunities, not only for access to capital, but access to knowledge and the resources, right? Because as you start a business, you need to, you need to know an attorney, you need to know an accountant. Yeah. So these other resources that um, when you have a different um, life path to get to, you know, to college or to your first job, you may not have all those resources around you. Your, your parents may not have those mm -hmm. friends. You know, I have friends that I grew up with that, you know, their dad's best friend was, you know, was an attorney. And then his best friend was, you know, was the, the, the accountant. We didn't have that in our community, mm -hmm. right? And so I, I think having those resources both in our community who know each other to support each other, but also to, to the, the, the greater economy, having those resources made available and having access to that or programming or education so you understand that when you put a business plan together that you need to think about insurance. You need to think mm -hmm. about risk, not just I had this great idea, I think I can sell it, and hope I, you know, it, it goes well. There's so many other things that are part of business 100%. or running an operation than just having the idea and hoping to sell what, you, what, what, your, you know, what your idea is. Yeah, and that's definitely something I've seen working at the Center for Entrepreneurship uh, here at UC as well as working within the startup community uh, for a couple of years in Cincinnati um, is that there's always that next step when you have an idea. It's like, oh, I need to do this. And then, oh, I need this. And then it's just like a continual waterfall effect until you think you're at the end, but there's always, always, always another step. Um, so kind of pivoting from that conversation and topic, one of the coolest aspects of your journey, um, in my opinion, in business, is that you've had the opportunity to experience both the corporate side as well as the entrepreneurial side of business. Um, you worked at Ernst & Young as well as Brixie & Meyer. I hope I'm saying that correctly. And then as well as your entrepreneurial side of business, uh, beginning at the tail end of 2014. So I'm curious in your personal experiences and perspectives, what do you see as some of the similarities, differences, and like benefits and consequences of both the corporate side of business as well as the entrepreneurial side? So I think that the corporate side uh, typically is gonna give you structure, mm -hmm. right? They're, they typically have well-defined programs and things that are in place, education to, to, to teach you, um, you know, as a young career-minded person, right? Uh, and then there's usually lots of resources, mm -hmm. right? There's somebody yeah. to call to do this, somebody to call to do that. This depart this whole department handles this part of the yeah. operation. This one does that, right? And, and as an entrepreneur, you tend to not have that. Yeah, you know, you're wearing all it might those. Be you, yeah, yeah, you, only. you. You and you. <laughs> yeah. uh, so having a partner sometimes make that a little mm -hmm. bit easier, but even then you're splitting up some of the things and maybe you're balancing out your your strengths and then mm -hmm. and you tackle those those items. But as an entrepreneur, it's still a lot to handle and a lot to do. And you know, in the morning you're making marketing decisions, yeah. in the afternoon you're making financial decisions, you know, then you know 
after lunch, you're, you're talking about how do you uh, price this contract right mm. to not lose money. You're trying to figure out, is this a loss leader scenario? Do we want to buy this client? Are we okay doing that because it's better to have this client on our, you know, on our client serve than mm -hmm. it is to make money on them? And uh, then at night, you're then figuring out, what did I do all no, what did I do all day? I still have to do the projects I sold yeah. last week, right? And so you don't have a team to give that you know, over to. But I think as an entrepreneur, as you grow, if you, if you aspire to have a – Kind of a full-fledged organization, you may then start to layer in those resources mm -hmm. inside of That's your really outside point. of your business. And so, going from the corporate side to going into a startup accounting firm uh, at Brixie Meyer, which you which you mentioned, uh, we started out in a basement. Mm -hmm. Right, so I left a big four gig, went over to a casket company because mm -hmm. everybody dies, right? So it's gonna be great job security. <laughs> It wasn't, uh, but to come back into an accounting firm starting up from scratch, I had a card, you know, a, a car fold up card table and a kitchen chair. That was my desk. Oh, wow. And I think I had to share it sometimes. Right? It's not a lot of space. <laughs> standing you know, that time. You're standing that time. Right? standing desk. But that gave me the bug for entrepreneurial spirit mm -hmm. watching um, the two founders there who I knew from Ernst & Young um, develop that and be a part of that of that flow, it gave me some of the, the fundamental blocks about how to prioritize what you're doing you know, in, as you're growing you know, your, your business. And I've been fortunate enough to uh, you know, take some of those nuggets and apply those to, to, to uh, my business, but then ultimately um, went back and partnered with my old firm to create our cyber business. <laughs> so it, like, it kind of came full, yeah, full, full circle. circle. So it's, it's that constant, uh, constant grind, but I, I love the, the ability to be nimble and move quickly and not have all the red tape you'd have to go through mm -hmm, sometimes mm -hmm. for a decision in the corporate world. And I, I can never see myself, you know, going back, I get job offers and I get, you mm -hmm. know, re recruited and they throw big numbers out there. And while sometimes it's nice to want to take that paycheck that comes on the first and the 15th or the 15th and the 30th mm -hmm. of the month, the freedom and the flexibility and just the, the, the sheer pride you have yeah. having your own thing. It's, 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 Problem money really can't for, yeah, and yeah money can't you know really can't fulfill that same that same feeling and i get to be a problem solver yes <laughs> yes no yeah and as you were speaking i even learned a lot from the journey from ernst and young um to brixie and meyer so even just, that's why i love having these conversations you get to see what happens behind the curtain that you might not see um on linkedin or on different events and that you have conversations with so uh, that's one thing i really enjoy um and going on to more of like neo's mission since you've um, you were familiar with Daniel when he was in Blue Ash. Mm -hmm. You're familiar with Nora and the work that Neo does. Uh, with one of Neo's missions being to sustainably empower minority-owned small businesses through data analytics so that our clients can make more informed data-driven decisions. This goes hand-in-hand -hand with the work you conduct at Riskversity. Um, I saw on, the, on your LinkedIn profile, it says you were there to enable organizations to proactively manage exposure to risk and promote long-term stability through effective risk management in which I assume data is a large component of the work that you do within that process. Uh, so I'm curious, what role does data play in the organization um, in regard to risk management? You do some phenomenal research, let me tell yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> I mean, data's can't, you, know, you have cash yeah. and you have data, yeah. right? Those two things Almost. really lead mm -hmm. whatever it is sometimes, depending on the, the scenario, one might be more valuable than the, than the other. Uh, and so from risk management, um, there's a lot of different avenues you can take, mm -hmm. right? And so there is, you know, data around 
what's happening, you know, in your business just as kind of touch points to help you make decisions on do you want to take a risk on a new service line or mm. a new product line, right? It's the, the, the market data, right? So that that's not sensitive data in all mm-hmm. in all cases, but it's it's data. But then you have the data that you're crunching, you know, internally that could be a competitive advantage for what you're doing versus others, right? If you're an AI and how fast you know, think about uh, you know, Google, part of that is how fast when you put you know, when you hit search, how fast and it tells you this came yeah, back point. and such and such. They want you to know that whatever you need is going to be the fastest, right? And so sometimes those types of things are important. How mm-hmm. fast can you deliver? You know, at Amazon, it's about, you know, you click it now, you can get it in one day, right? So sometimes it takes a lot of data to understand mm-hmm. how you can deliver on your mission, how can you can deliver it on your customer on your customer promise. So while we don't crunch all that data, we're asking those questions to our clients to, to make sure they, if it's proprietary, how are you protecting that, mm. right? That's the risk side of that, mm-hmm. right? And then that, that's kind of the, the, the organizational risk. But then there's the, the customer acquisition risk and it's the other data. So data plays a large part. Yeah. We're not always crunching it, but we're asking questions about it or we're helping mm. them protect that data. Mm. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of different moving pieces within uh, risk management as well as how it plays in with data. Um, and another kind of shorter question I have in related to that is what advice would you give someone in high school or college that's interested in pursuing a career in risk management? That's a good question. So if I, could, if I can nail this, I think we might be able to solve the workforce problem <laughs> in insurance and risk management. Uh, and, we, one step at a time. Yeah, one step at a time. Uh, I think educating people on you know what this industry isn't, because I think mm. when people think about this, it's really focused on you know insurance and, and yeah. the, the, the visual of an insurance salesperson with a briefcase mm-hmm. knocking on doors, typically selling life insurance, mm-hmm. right? Um, but the industry of insurance and risk management is so much larger than that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and helping people understand that, you know, every day you wake up, you're managing risk. Yeah. And it's every really, decision. you know, it, it's it's your it's your daily moment. Your your body does it automatically, mm-hmm. right? You, you, know, you breathe in, your brain's telling your body to do X, Y, and Z. And if you're short on air, your body's automatically managing its own risk so that you survive, right? If you're cold, That's your body warms point. up, right? And so understanding that you can be selective in an industry to go focus on higher ed has so many risks between the students and the faculty, the research. If you have a hospital, a health system connected to the university, you could just get absorbed in you know in that mm-hmm. or it could be you know manufacturing it could be logistics and supply chain there's so many like areas that you can be a, a subject matter expert in around around risk but just taking a step back and saying you know if you know when i decided i wanted to ride a bike you had to manage risk you were scared you're gonna Every scrape pedal. your knee <laughs> i do i pedal right instead what do i do but it's a process, mm-hmm. and it really all applies if you just you know, take a step back. And you think about any startup organization was a risk taken. Mm-hmm. If your time, your talent, obviously your treasure, right? You had to invest in it. No one else invested in you, to, you know, to, to create that business. It was your own money. You took a risk, mm-hmm. right? So people were always managing risk. They just don't decide to make a career out of it. Mm. I love that. I think hearing you speak over risk in the way that you – uh, position it and speak on it with clarity. I have one question. It's kind of a personal, selfish question. Uh-oh. But how would you define risk? I looked it up on Merriam-Webster, and it said the possibility of loss or injury. 
So what would Lawrence Jones' definition of risk be? I mean, th- that's one aspect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you, you buy insurance typically to manage, you know, a loss, mm-hmm. right? Whether that, you know, you buy, you know, uh, you know car insurance so that if, if you run into something, there's an insurance policy to manage the financial risk to that, mm-hmm. right? So when you go to get your license, they say, do you have insurance or do you have the financial wherewithal to pay for this, you know, out of your pocket? And most folks can't do that, so you have to buy, you know, a, uh, um, you know, uh, auto insurance policy. So, but risk can also be, as I mentioned, um, you know, risk for growth, mm-hmm. right? To take a chance on something, mm-hmm. right? It, you know, we have Apple products because someone decided, like, I'm gonna go do this. There's a spaceship that goes to the moon because mm-hmm. someone took a risk to figure out and tinker with how to get from the ground up into outer, you know, the outer space. You know, we have cars that are almost autonomous, mm-hmm. right? Those were business risk to really differentiate the market. So, for I mean, this is a great topic. I talk about this all the time because I, I now have an electric car that to plug in at night. It's you know, there's a lot of naysayers when well, even back up for that. You had a horse and buggy. <laughs> The combustible engine was a disruptor, mm-hmm. and so to invest your money, your time, and energy to disrupt the horse and buggy concept was a risk for growth. Large, mm-hmm. and that became you know the the standard. You know, um, I like the risk for growth. Right, piece. It, it really. And then, you know, <coughs> then now you have electric cars disrupting what we know as the you know as a norm. Not going to get into debate about whether or not you know one thing is you know more eco friendly than the other for the environment. But it's a different way to get around. People mm-hmm. still ride. I mean, it's still cowboys yeah. that ride horses to yeah. get around, right? It's not obsolete. It's just not the most efficient thing, right? It, 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 fuel mm-hmm. vehicles, right? You know, what they call them ice, and then you have electric. So there's all these different options you have. But there was a, a risk taken mm. to create that business model and disrupt the market, you know, as we, you know, as we knew it at the at the time. Cell phones in your hand. We, we have a computer. Yeah. Now. Nobody's gonna do that. But if you walked Inspector Gadget, you know he had to watch on, or the Jetsons, mm-hmm. like they were doing all these things that we now have In easy access to, yeah. right? And so, while risk is normally thought of as something that is, you know, no, don't yeah. do it, stay away from it, risk can also be that calculated positioning of, you know, pushing the norm, the status quo, being the disruptor to create the next thing. Yeah, and I really like the piece on risk for growth because, like, when you're having those conversations, and there might be naysayers or people that think you should go one way or another. They'll say that's a risk. But then I guess you could rebuttal that and say it's a risk for growth, and that you've balanced the benefits with the risk and the consequences of maybe not doing it. Um, so I really, I really enjoyed that. And then this question this is more on the fun side. I was doing my research, but as I was, research, as I was scrolling, I saw that you earned the 40 under 40. Oh, yeah, that was Award, which was issued by the Cincinnati Business Courier. So I'm interested. How did it feel to be honored in in that way? Well, it's definitely I, cool. It looks it, cool. It's 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 cool, right? So you know, you have to apply, and then people have to vote for you to then make it to the 40 that are that are under 40. And, and I um, was able to do that well before I, you know, before I got to my to my to my 40 mark. So I'm thankful that folks believed in me mm-hmm. and I was, I was worthy of such uh, an award, but in this community, um, it, it definitely creates a, a group of folks who say, ah, you're, you're one of those too, right? It's, it's a good feeling yeah. to been, have been considered that you've achieved enough things that were noticed 
people realized that and wanted to give you an award for it. So it's fun to, to see the new classes come out and see it on LinkedIn. And yeah. You, you, you Stay say, hey, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. hey, welcome to the, you know, welcome to the yeah, club. For sure. It's, it's a fun thing for sure. Nice. Nice. So going back to more of the UC situated questions, being that you graduated from UC um, and were involved in the campus and the community, it's changed tremendously um, within the last couple of years um, and so on. Uh, so I'm curious, what do you think of the present status of UC's community, and what are you looking forward to in the future? Here we go. Here we go. Um, <laughs> what uh, I've experienced a lot of change um, at UC from how the university operates, what it looks like uh, aesthetically. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, when I came to UC, it was the commuter school, right? Mm. There were dorms on campus and folks stayed in dorms, but a lot of, it was, there was more parking mm. available on campus because more people were driving yeah. in. You know, Sigma Sigma Commons was a parking lot, right? Wow. And so you're fighting for, that was cheap <laughs> parking versus the garage. You wanted to get that, to get that pass. Um, but to really transform the campus to be one that was gonna be, and this was vision, right? to change the aesthetics of the campus so that people, when they did campus tours from out of town, like, this is a place I that I go want. When there's, you know, 1,500 cars in the middle of campus, that doesn't yeah. scream residential and I want to stay here and be a part of this fabric. I might get ran over by a car in the middle of campus, <laughs> right? Um, with having this walkable internal part, there should be a, a road that you can drive all the way through campus. And so wow. think about, you I know, see these spring, pictures. we had quarters, right? So think about spring quarter, Weather just changed, you know, people changing them, wearing shorts and, and, and whatnot, windows down, yeah. music bumping. <laughs> you, you know, Through you, campus. You, you, you pimping, uh, you know, parking <laughs> lot pimping, all, all the drive, slow as you can, you know, and everybody yeah. see you and everybody sing Hear along them, to your yeah. song, right? Get the incense going, everything. Uh-huh. So uh, now you can't do that. You can't drive a car right through mm-hmm. campus. You got to park on the outer, you know, the outer outer pieces and, and, walk in. and, and walk through. And they beautify dorms. They opened up a new dorm recently. Mm-hmm. Um, every year for the last seven or eight years, we've continued to break the uh, the the new the enrollment, you know, yeah. record. Mm-hmm. Right, they can't lenders, find where to stick. Lenders to, popping right? now. Right, yeah, you know, where do we even put folks to live? Like they're <laughs> buying new apartment buildings, you know, yeah. kind of off campus to become student housing mm-hmm. because it's changed. So much of so what, I, what I really see is that we've gone from a commuter campus where there was connectivity, but not what we're seeing today mm-hmm. from students. I mean, people stay on campus. So they're yeah, they're all really over study. It's a, it's a community now that we didn't have. So, mm-hmm. you know, as alumni president that we talked about before, when you would call on people to be engaged and come back, they only had that diploma connection. They mm-hmm. didn't have the community connection because – you came to school, your class was over, you went home, you went somewhere else, you didn't come back until you had another, wow. another class. Now folks are staying around, they're in the dorm, and it's more of that, right? And so that, I think that's really changed the dynamic of what UC is and what UC is on a national scale because we have more folks coming in from outside of the state yes. than we do inside of the state. So mm-hmm. it, and it creates new relationships for culture change when it's not all Midwestern Sandy people mm-hmm. or even from Columbus when you have folks from San Diego and, you know, Phoenix and, you know, Montana, yeah. that changes the environment gives people the ability to learn something new from people they wouldn't otherwise, you know, get to get to learn from at this age in their in their in their life. Yeah, and I think especially in like current student perspective, it's cool to hear how it's transitioned and how it's changed because it allows you to be grateful for like what we're experiencing on campus and 
such the community aspect that's here through the different organizations, the different colleges, and what all goes on um, behind it. And I think speaking on the connectedness, it goes great with the next question. Uh, so in the video I mentioned earlier that's on UC's um, YouTube account, you stated uh, and spoke over the mantra of you have to give to get and then give to get to give, which is a bit of a, a tongue twister. I'm not it sure is. if I got it wrong, but I think I, I think I got right. it right. Uh, but there's a very powerful message behind it, and I sat and thought about it. Um, so I want to know, you spoke over it briefly uh, in the beginning, but what type of legacy do you seek to leave behind um, within the community in Cincinnati and overall? And, and for those listening who may have not have thought about what type of legacy they seek to leave, what advice would you give them? Because a legacy is a very interesting term and, and concept, and it's something that I've been thinking about recently. Um, and lot, a lot of my friends have been speaking over, and I think that's what everyone's attempting to do, but they might not conceptualize it in a way where it's like, okay, this is my legacy. Right. Um, and, and so the the quote that you rattled off so well, and you got it got it right. Good, um, good. It, it's not mine, right? Mm -hmm. much, much like, you no, know, be a professional problem solver wasn't mine, but I've embodied that, right? And, and so uh, another mentor of mine, Carl Satterwhite, who's done phenomenal things here in the city and really helping advance um, you know, minority-owned businesses, and he's very involved in, in giving back that way. Um, when I first met him, that, that was a part of his conversation, right? To give, to get, to get, mm -hmm. right? So you, you give to others, you get to their return, turn around to, to, to give it again, that. right? Yeah. So it, it's, it, it's, it's the cycle. Mm -hmm. well, it's like your community. You buy over here, then those people make money, and it, you, you create an ecosystem, right? And so that could be for business, on a personal side, right? Mm -hmm. From a spiritual perspective, you know, if, if that's what you believe in, uh, and, and my nature of wanting to give back and give you know, to others, I don't always expect anything in return from you. I mm -hmm. feel that if I do good to you, that good is going to come, you know, from somewhere, from somewhere else. And 100%. so, again, I give credit to Carl because I, I do live by that. I didn't, I didn't create that. Uh, I think he even had license plate at one point um, that uh, that said that. But to the legacy part. I don't really think about it to your point mm -hmm. if people don't really conceptualize, you know, what that means. Occasionally when an award comes up or you get asked to speak on something, you may pause for a moment and think, oh, wow, mm -hmm. okay, maybe I, might, maybe I am creating, you know, some legacy, but I'm not doing it so intentionally that, that it's this, you know, laying down of bricks to say I need to have this is my legacy I want to leave behind. So I'm not really there yet. Mm -hmm. What my legacy I feel like is that people, you know, if I were gone, if I were to expire tomorrow, that people knew that I did the best that I could every day, that I tried to help others always. Mm -hmm. That's you gotta be selfish for, for yourself. Mm -hmm. But by and large, I'm I really want to help other people be at their, you know, be at their best. That is in my, you know, is in my core. And if that is what people you know, know about me, and if that's my legacy, I'm cool. Now, other folks' legacy is that they have a whole building named after them, mm -hmm. and sometimes that naming of a building isn't because they liked you so much, but you gave a lot of money, yeah, right? Yeah. So <laughs> if I have it to give to that level, then great. But if someone sees value in, in naming something because you know, it, it embodies what they're trying to accomplish for their mission because I was attached to it, then great. Mm -hmm. But end result is that, you know, if I'm not here, you know, of course, oh, yeah, I do that. Guys yeah. are great. Guys, that's why I say. That's really what's more important to me, that people will speak well about me 
when I'm not in the room. Mm-hmm. That's what I believe mm-hmm. is my, you know, is my is my legacy. As long as that happens, I'm good. If more than that happens, is I hit the the, the mega millions <laughs> or strike it rich, <laughs> there's a different story. So, <laughs> no, yeah, and as you mentioned, the piece of like when you're not in the room, I think you've done a phenomenal job of that from so many different people, different groups, and like diversity in campus and beyond. A lot of people know your name um, and have such great things to say about you. So. Um, you just those down. You gonna you read them to me? <laughs> <laughs> I could I could name them off. I could name them off. But uh, transitioning into our last question, you talked over like you don't think specifically on the legacy you're building until those specific moments where you kind of have that self reflection of what you've done and like how it impacted other people in the environment that you're in. So for the last question, it's what advice would you give to freshman year Lawrence if you could give any? <laughs> oh, <laughs> freshman year. You know, I, I think when you, I'm not a first generation, um, you know, college student, but I mean, not everybody you know, before me went to, I mean, I had cousins and some that, so I had some experiences to, to, to lean on. I think it's really to embrace the experience. Mm. I, mean, I came to a commuter school, so yeah. I really didn't lean into the college experience until it was almost too late, mm. right? And so I think a part of, I'm playing a little bit of catch up, mm-hmm. you know, as a part of my give back now because I didn't have that as a student. One, because the environment yeah. didn't really truly provide for it, but I didn't lean into it like I could have, mm-hmm. right? And so if I, if I could go back, I would really find a way to be more engaged in student organizations, so I've started that a bit, you know, a bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the main. Th- and, and the second thing is to find your your calling. You may not get it right, but don't be afraid to do it quickly. I, I made a change from ANS over mm-hmm. to, to to Lindner, but I probably did it later than I probably should have, just because you're afraid to, to disrupt. I came here to do this. You got to yeah. tell everybody, oh, and well, I'm going to do your pharmacy now. And, and don't be, you know, don't be shy about that. But mm-hmm. when you don't have the the family and the the the, the folks to to ask though is it okay if I change my major seventeen times mm-hmm. you know okay that's idea yeah twenty two times right if you don't have that you feel like when you show up what you signed up for is what you're supposed to finish with and that's not really not what most life. people yeah. do there's only a small percentage that finish where they you know where they start and that could be based on the what they felt they wanted to do and until they got into it and did a co op mm-hmm. and felt that experience really like I can't see myself yeah, this doing is, this. This isn't, this, this isn't me, right? Mm-hmm. And then you switch to something else, or there's an economy shift, or there's a new, a new thing that happens that you want to go, you know, go and follow, and you want to be a part of this new, this new trend. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid to research that. You're a researcher, <laughs> um, and make the change that fits you. Because when you, you don't want to have a job, you want to have a career mm. that doesn't feel like work. Mm. Because if it doesn't feel like work you can make the biggest impact for yourself and those around you. If it's a job and it's and it's it's tedious, that vibe comes off. Yeah. To your employer, to your colleagues at work. It, it just it's a whole different thing. And that wears on you over time. You look mm-hmm. back ten years later, it's like, oh, I was I was a grumpy old guy. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And you wanna be able to you know, not that every day is gonna be a good day, but if you believe in what you're doing, you have a passion for it, you feel like you're making a change. You can always kind of follow your your beacon. I think you could be you, know, you could be okay. 
Yeah, that was that was really great. And I think I took that was not rehearsed. I, just, <laughs> I, I took a lot from that take, right? myself. Um, and then there's the first piece you hit on is just getting involved in campus. So, yeah, I definitely urge anybody listening, just being in my final semester, I would say getting involved in campus. You mentioned business fellows. You're on the board for that. Um, as well as anything, Neo and otherwise organizations get involved. It helps you grow your network and grow your community as we talked over before. It really just helps you figure out who you are as a person, being around others and seeing what they're going through. And then you hit on the purpose piece. And I think that's such a uh, important and prevalent topic in college. But as you mentioned, you don't want to have a career. It's kind of more of like you want to have a calling. Like you're not the position that's labeled on your resume, but you're the person that you're named after your first name and your last name. So really figuring out who you are as a person and how that transitions into your career. And I think there's a lot of stress in college of figuring out what you're going to do, but it's really like who you are and how you're going to do like what you want to do. Um, but Lawrence, uh, we've talked over a lot from your everlasting love and support from the University of Cincinnati, especially basketball, uh, <laughs> to how analytics are vital to, for business in order to measure risk and create success and everything in between. So I want to say thank you for taking the time to hang out with us on In the Know with Neo um, and sharing your time, resources, and memories. And I can personally say uh, you've helped me define my career path and direction through the conversations we've shared um, and, and the impact you've had on the Cincinnati community and beyond. So thank you again. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to sit here with you and, and share. Perfect, perfect. Well, that was another episode of In the Know Neo. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you're interested in learning more about Neo's mission and vision, follow us on social media at Neo Initiative or visit our website at neocincy.com.